Where are you going to go when you need some fun? Combat Ops Arena. That's where you're going to go. They sponsor this podcast each and every week. So please go check them out. They're on Lay Road. They've got an arcade. They have got axe throwing. They have got laser tag, bowling, everything imaginable. And even for us old guys, us purists, they even have Galaga, Pac-Man, Centipede, all those great old games. So something for everybody at Combat Ops Arena and at CombatOpsArena.com. Go check them out. They are on Lay Road. Okay, it is showtime. Merry Christmas, happy holidays to all. I know this might date this episode, but we are posting it on Christmas Day, so let's just stay festive. And speaking of being festive, we got one of the most festive guys around. We're going outside of the Comet organization for today's episode, but somebody very closely connected to the team. That is Comet's beat writer, Justin Cohn. Coney has been writing for the Journal Gazette for over 20 years. He has been on that Comet beat, and I can't think of very many people who have seen more Comet hockey than this guy. Coney and I go back a long ways. We go back over 20 years. We even uh, had an ill-fated sports talk show about 15, 16 years ago, but we won't talk about that. Hopefully that has been lost to the radio gods, but uh, from what we learned in this interview, Coney still has some old CDs, which I'm hoping he gets rid of. But he also has got some great, great stories about the UHL days. I mean, he has covered this team uh, across five leagues, so he has got some tremendous stories. So we could have talked all day long, but uh, we didn't. We might have to have Coney back some other time, but it was a great episode. So here is me and Justin Cohn in my office, Combat Apps Arena, Comets Podcast. Nothing is more disheartening, though, with Amazon Prime than scrolling through a movie and then seeing that dreaded not available at this time. Oh. You know, like not not included in your package. <laughs> like you have to like plunk down the $5 right. or whatever. Like it's not free. <laughs> but I see the ones that are like, why does this still even exist? I thought this all of this should have been burned years ago. <laughs> I never should have seen the light of day. But anywho. Anyway, okay, Justin Cohn, you're here. Uh, we're not going to just talk about movies, but we could all day. But uh, we're talk, we'll talk some hockey. Now, you've been around a long time, and I think you've still been growing that beer since, beard since day one, right? See, that's what everybody assumes, but, you know, day one of September, maybe. Yeah. But day uh, one, what was, your, what was the first day you covered Comets hockey? Uh, it was the 1997-98 season, so... That was John Torchetti's first full season, to put it in pers- perspective. So perspective. I, I had two seasons of original International Hockey League hockey. So we're going back <laughs> two iterations of the IHL here, <laughs> UHL, CHL, ECHL. I mean, this is when the ECHL was still an acronym. Right. It still stood for something, yeah. Yes. So what do you did you have a favorite league? Because you've uh, you've covered everything. Did you have a favorite one that I've covered? Like the IHL, yeah, the two IHL versions, the UHL, the CHL, and now the ECHL. You know, it's funny because everything's in hindsight, right? Right. You know, at the time I would have never thought this, but looking back, the UHL was gold. Um and just to show you how Nice, bushy, and full. Coney's beard is. It's rubbing up against the microphone right now. Is that what that noise? That is, is? That is your beard rubbing up against the microphone. <laughs> Didn't mean to in- interrupt uh, your groove there on the UHL, but uh, yeah, um, yeah. The the UHL. I mean, I really did not appreciate it for what it was at the time, and I mean, there it was everything that minor league hockey from a, a reporter's standpoint, I think should be. I mean, it was, there was crazy stuff that went on. There was on and off the ice. Uh, you know, there was 
uh, great players. Uh, there was fights. There was uh, personalities. Uh, there were teams nearby, but there were also fun, longer trips. Uh, and from my perspective, there were great reporters. I mean, you know, that was a – this is a nationwide A hockey league, and obviously we're in a different era now. But looking back now, I mean, there were a lot of great, fun – uh journalists then and we all knew each other and this was you know again we're kind of pre-internet and then going into the internet and you know we all kind of look to each other for information and then you know there were a couple newspapers and websites including mine and then the new sentinel that i feel like all the the fans of the league and really at that time a lot of leagues came to us for information so it just made the whole thing a lot of fun but yeah. at the time i was like what am i covering but looking <laughs> back like i would love to be covering that yeah and the uhl you did become kind of like the beat writer for the whole league i do remember a lot of people looking at you league wide uh, yeah i mean there was yeah. a couple of us it wasn't just yeah. me i mean there was this was a two newspaper town uh the quad cities was a two newspaper town there was uh, really good reporting out of, you know, Flint and Kalamazoo um, and Elmira and Binghamton. I mean, there was a lot, but I mean, I could write a book. I We could go on for hours about the UHL. I mean, there are so many stories. I mean, there are, you know, everything from FBI wiretaps of the commissioner. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I don't know what's off limits here, but I mean, everything there are just so many stories. Uh, well, let's so. touch on that. The Danbury situation. Yes. That probably one of my all-time favorite minor league hockey stories. ESPN did a, a, a 30 for 30 mini episode about that. But the Danbury Thrashers that had the Sopranos feel to it when you had the 17-year-old son actually running the team and his dad who was, you know, connected. You cannot make this stuff up. <laughs> I explain this to young reporters that I work with. And they think I'm making it. Like, right, you can't. right. You can't. Okay, so they there's a team in Danbury, Connecticut. The owner is connected to tr- trash sanitation. Okay, <laughs> like read between the lines what he does for a living here. And, th- I mean, my f- second favorite part of the whole thing was the introductory press release when he announced that his – I believe 18-year-old yeah. son, A.J. Galante, was going to be the general manager of the team. And listing his credentials was that last season he was the co-captain <laughs> of, I believe it was Danbury High School's varsity hockey team. And I'm like, you've got to be <laughs> kidding me. Like, this, this was, you know... This is what the Comets were going to be competing against. And they did this with a straight face. Okay, so, of course, then they were, you know, put together this team that was like uh, a fantasy roster of double-A hockey. Like, it was a mix of, uh, as I recall, you know, triple-A level players, maybe even former NHL players. But then there were goons. I mean, there was just no way on earth. Everybody who knew anything knew there was no way this team was under the salary cap. I mean, it was preposterous, but it was like, who put this team together? And, of course, every team that went out there, I mean, it was going to be high-scoring games, and there was going to be brawls, and there was going to be all this stuff. But then, long story short, you know, then we we get word that there were these FBI wiretaps, and we got access to the tapes and you could actually sit there and listen to government recordings of the owner of the team talking to the commissioner of the league Richard Brosall and they're talking about how they were skirting the salary cap and it was sort of amazing because we all knew all along there yeah. was no way you know they were paying a lot of teams were paying guys under the table but that was sort of their way of getting in the door with this guy for circumventing some tax (laughs) things and things like that. And, um, but we're sitting here listening to this commissioner. And the moment that I remember was he threatens the commissioner. He says something like, 
Richard, you know, it's not like I'm going to come after you or anything like that if, <laughs> if, you, if you find me. And Richard's like, <laughs> but there was this really right, uncomfortable nervous moment like, like, are you kidding or are you not kidding? Because he knows who this guy is. And we're all listening to this. Like, we're sitting here in the office. I'm, like, calling people over, like, listen to this. Like, you know, it was just crazy stuff. Like, today it wouldn't be that crazy, but in 2000. I think it would still be crazy <laughs> today. <laughs> but, I mean, if, back then you just didn't get access right. to stuff like that as easily. I mean, the fact that we got it was just great. So, so many stories yeah, from back then. Yeah, and, and you're right. You know, bring, the IHL is kind of what – it's almost like a blur for me. It really is. It's like that happened. I mean, it was – I'm not sure how many years were the Comets in the UHL. I can't even remember. Well, they were in that league from 1999 till 2007. So quite – I mean, a yeah, considerable was, amount of time. A, it was a while. It yeah. It was a while. And you had so many different teams. The teams changed from year to year. You went from – uh, BC, which was Broome County, and nobody knew what that was. Well, which see, was that's my favorite. And, yes, and that's that's what I was segueing to. I knew that you and the commissioner, uh, who, who you love, you love Richard Brosell. I, I love Richard. Yeah, and I, and I know the story about what BC and uh, what was it, Mohawk Valley was the yeah, other well, one. So, so the Comets had this epic. Like this is where they really entered the league. Was like they had this great playoff series with with the BC Binghamton Icemen. And that was when Kelly Corpse played for the Comets. Yeah. It really became, to me, one of my all-time favorite players. Like, he was skating on one leg and had this epic yeah. series. Brad Jones coached Binghamton. Yeah. And just this great epic series. But around then, it dawned on me and a lot of people that nobody knew what BC meant. Like, everybody just assumed it, it was, was British, British Columbia. Columbia. Right. Yeah. It's not Broome County. Uh, Broome County, New York, and there's this huge history of hockey there. Like, that was the New York Rangers minor league affiliate for years. Like, if you watch Mystery Alaska, that's where they were going to send all those right. guys at the right. end of the movie. Huge problem with that, by the way. Like, let's not worry about an <laughs> NHL draft or anything like that. We're just <laughs> going to pluck them out of Mystery Alaska and send them to the AHL. Well, and BC was also represented in the movie Slapshot. True, true, that's right. true. So... Anyway, so I found this very confusing, and I just said, I walked in the office one day, and I said, can we just call them Binghamton? And we had this whole discussion, and, and they said, yeah, we think this would be much better for our readers. So we ceased to call them the BC <laughs> Icemen and started calling them the Binghamton Icemen. Now, as many of the listeners know, Blake Sebring for the new Sentinel I, my recollection, maybe he would remember it differently, was right about the same time he, he seemed to think that was also an awesome idea, and he started doing the same thing. So then pretty soon every writer in the whole league started doing the same thing. The, the Binghamton <laughs> So you man. started that, okay. That, this is my recollection. <laughs> right. Maybe somebody could correct me. I don't know. So then I remember having a conversation with Michael Franke, the president of the Comets, and I said... I haven't even gotten to the Mohawk Valley yet, which is Utica. <laughs> and I am now going, now that the precedent has been set, I'm going to start calling them the Utica, the Utica Prowlers because, you know, once I've done it with one. So I, of course, am not supposed to know anything that happens in these league meetings. That's a whole other long story. But <laughs> this was so funny, it definitely got back to me very quickly, was they go into these league meetings that summer, and I guess Michael Franke is in the in the conference room, and he, you know, we want to, what new business do we have? And he says, I think we need to talk about branding. <laughs> like, I think we have a real problem here that none of, <laughs> some of our fans don't know where our teams are. And before he even can finish the sentence, the commissioner, Richard Brosall, who is this short, kind of stocky, stocky, bald guy, <laughs> stands up and just punches the table. <laughs> I don't care what Justin Code says. Everybody knows where the Mohawk Valley is. <laughs> and I just think that's the funniest thing I've ever heard. And so for years, I, of course, I had to tell everybody the story. You know, it's one of those things like, I don't know. <laughs> now you've I, really told I, everybody. I have to tell everybody the story. <laughs> for years, people would call me from Utica and they would be like, I just I would answer the phone, hello. You'll never guess where I am. <laughs> Everybody knows where the Mohawk Valley is. That's where I am right now. Ah. <laughs> so now when I talk to Richard, like we're on Facebook friends, like every once in a while, I'll just throw that shot across the bow. I'll be like, 
Richard. Everybody knows where the Mohawk Valley is, right? And he's just always seems like dumbfounded. Like, how do you know about this? You know, like, and then right around then, not to give you another little thing, but I, I used to always joke about going to cover the league meetings, yeah. especially after this thing. And they used to have these meetings in, in Detroit. And I found out the hotel that they were at. And I used to just, as luck would have it, always be at this hotel to meet my brother because we'd be going to Red Wing games. And I happened to be going to a Red Wing game and meeting my brother while the meetings were going on. And I kind of talked to the Frankies and they're like, you should just kind of play a joke on Richard and just show up there. And I'm, I'm like, all right, I'll be in the building anyway. And so I'm, I'm just sitting down there. I see the, the placard yeah. UHL meetings. I'm yeah. just sitting down there, and the doors swing open, and Richard Brosell walks out, and he sees me, and I kid you not, he just turns bright red. There's, like, smoke coming out of his ears, and he just <laughs> turns around and walks back into the room, and I just hear this yelling. I'm like, what is he doing here? <laughs> I'm like, Richard, I'm not really here for you. It's just a joke. Just a joke. But while I'm here... Right. A- any word on that update on Mohawk Valley? <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so all this stuff will go in the book eventually. You know, yeah, when I get to, I, it. I think that's something you should you should do because it's uh, you know relatively uh, new history, and uh, you can write one about each league. Really, you can start. You know, my my first two years in the old IHL, the transition to the UHL, and remember that first year going to the UHL. I mean, talk about night and day when you had teams like you know Knoxville and Quad City, and it was it was a whole new thing. But you were you were right there in the middle of it. So how did you handle that going from AAA to AA? I mean the. F- <laughs> The very first game was in Asheville, yeah. and I'm there, and it gets canceled. Oh, the ice. That's right. Yeah, right. Yeah. And I will never forget. I mean, look, I, the perspective for me was I'm 23 years old. I'm one step away from covering the NHL. So me, my thought process was kind of like the players. I mean, I'll never forget being in Asheville. They have canceled the game because they didn't make the ice until Wednesday night for a Friday, Friday night game. game. And I'm looking at Kelly Hurd, and Kelly Hurd's looking at me, and we just both had these looks on our faces like, what are we doing here? Um, I mean, it just spoke to everything. Like, they made the – we showed up on Wednesday. They made the ice that day. Of course, it was not going to be ready, and their solution was, well, we'll just, we'll just make it colder, and that'll solve everything, right? So the players <laughs> literally skated out, and then the ice just cracked, and it went bloop. <laughs> <laughs> they just fell through the ice. Like the, like I was, I'd never see anything like it. So we all had to stay like an extra two days. And I mean, I'm never going to be like, woe is me. I'm a sports writer. But I mean, we didn't exactly have an extra, you know, $2,000 to be sitting right. right there, right then for me to sit an extra two days in Asheville. But that's what ended up happening, <laughs> you know, for the second game of the season because they were there for a two game set. So. Um, I mean, it was it was weird. It was wild. I mean, I, I'm not going to say I wasn't disappointed because, you know, I went yeah. from covering these guys who were one step away from the NHL, you know, uh, Kevin Weeks and Andre Bashkarov and Butsayev and everything. And now all of a sudden you're covering the United Hockey League. Um, but, you know, it, I learned that the stories and everything, like there would be – a, a different element of fun. Yeah. Um, it, but there was an adjustment period for me. Like I'm sure there was for everybody in the Comet organization from the GM on down uh, in, into, you know, how are we going to deal with all this? Right. You know? Right. So. Right. But you see how double a hockey has developed now over the last, you know, almost 20 years now. And do you think it is now, on level with what the old IHL was, not necessarily as far as the talent-wise. We know that's different, but just the way it is presented. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely it's definitely better. Um, yes, yes. I mean, it's much more professional. It's much more, um, you know, it was it was so ramshackle and it was so, um, you know, there was all these competing leagues and, um, you know, I. There are parts of me that kind of sometimes wishes that the ECHL had some competition. You know, I'm not right. always sure that having one league doing it all is always the best thing because they sometimes think that their way is the best way because their way is the only way. Um, but that's kind of the way minor league sports is right now. You know, it's I cover the Mad Ants. It's the same with yeah. basketball right now. So because there's nobody competing against them, you know, that's just – you know, the way it is. So, um, you know, there are certainly like any business, you know, reasons to think that competition could be 
a good thing, but the competition now is just franchise to franchise. So, you know, we see Toledo and Fort Wayne competing not just on the ice, but in the way their businesses operate and things like that. Yeah. So, you know, hopefully you see things like that work out. But, you know, there are – in answer to your question, yes, everything is much more professionally run and efficient overall. But, you know, there are still some holes in the system, you know, from a reporter standpoint. Sure. You know, like right now we're still in – you know, mid-December and, you know, there are problems with the UCHL website and boxes and things like this. I know you have to be a good soldier right. to talk about that. <laughs> I can, um, you know, things like that. And I feel like there isn't the, the incentive and the pressure necessarily on anybody to fix that because they're, they're the UCHL, they're the only league and yeah. where's the pressure? And there isn't a whole batch of reporters like there used to be, um, you know, 10 years ago and multiple leagues and, people don't have the options like they used to now every team in this league now doesn't have a beat writer right correct so that's also changed obviously uh not every team in this league has a road broadcaster they do the home games but they don't do road so it's one of those things that everybody is adjusting to yeah it's it's very different i mean every year i have to cast a, a ballot for the um media person of the year or the reporter of the year it's not always an easy thing because you know you don't like to vote for the same people every year um you know i tried to i mean there's a lot of markets obviously so it's hard to i try to certainly read all the people around here but um you know that's it's not as easy as it used to be to find people and that's you know every market seems to have people that cover them in some way shape or form but you know if you look at like wichita like their newspaper doesn't really cover them so they're getting their coverage from the sin bin which is more of an online site um some cities like um kalamazoo you know their coverage is very sporadic you know it's so not everything is like fort wayne where they're getting coverage you know five days out of the week in the newspaper so um you know, it's it's a lot different than it used to be in a lot of these markets. And like you said, you know, radio and just everything's different than it used to be. And, you know, I think I think fans uh, in some cities should consider themselves very lucky to Absolutely. have what they have. Um, and, you know, some of this, I think, will correct itself over time. I really do think that I think. Some of this is cyclical and that after a while, some of these markets will figure out like in some of these cities that have newspapers that are not covering their pro sports teams. Like I kind of can't personally fathom that at all, yeah. like how they do that. But I also I feel bad for the teams like, I, you know, like I know we go to Cincinnati and it's like they will beg the, the newspapers and stuff to be like coming to their game, which is like it's crazy. Like they have to actually call the newspapers and be like, you know, we have a game tonight, but you know, I've also been on the other end of that call and be like, well, you're just because you call us doesn't mean we're right. going to cover something. So, I, you know, I don't know where the answer is, but, you know, I tend to think over time this stuff all kind of works itself <laughs> out. But, you know, I, I don't know in the minor leagues how that does work itself out. Now, you've become kind of this uh, multi-dimensional wizard when it comes to Twitter and Facebook and social media in general. You know, you're doing video, you're writing your stories. If you see Justin during the games up in the press box, I mean, he's constantly moving and somehow he packs up everything and leaves at the start of the third period. He's got everything ready to go, everything he needs, but he's doing video and everything. But I love like your Twitter feed, how, you know, you're just the beat writer, but somehow you get in the crossfire of a lot of fans. Yeah, somehow it's <laughs> somehow, never enough. Right, it's never enough, you know. <laughs> God forbid you get, like, one word on a tweet incorrectly <laughs> spelled. Um, I mean, honestly, you know, I I probably try to do more than I should. Like, I overextend myself sometimes. But I started doing all the video because, um, you know, I, I felt like I could see it a couple steps ahead that, that that's what people were going to want when Twitter and Facebook and everything was – um, getting big and that was when I basically was starting to wind down as an NFL beat writer and um, be with the Comets and the Mad Ants more and I frankly was trying to um, you know break up the monotony a little bit yeah. you know when you're doing the same kind of reporting with the Comets for you know at that time you know 10-12 years like you kind of get in this routine. And so I, people were like 
calling me crazy, like people that I worked with for doing all this video and stuff, uh, instead of just doing interviews. Yeah. Like I started doing game action is what I'm getting at. Like I was trying to get yeah. goals and stuff like that. I was like, well, actually, I'm trying to break it up. And I find that it, I pay closer attention to the game. You know, like sometimes you can get to talking or you can yeah. get to type writing. And I was like, if I am sitting there and I am recording, like I can sometimes be paying closer attention to the game. Now, sometimes it goes the other way. Like you get in that lens, I think, as you know, and then you don't see the entire yeah. game. You know what I mean? So, but yeah, some nights I get so absorbed in trying to do too much. Like I'm taking video and then I'm trying to cut the video and tweet it out like right after it happens. Like maybe there's a fight and I want to get that fight out to the people. And then I'm, maybe I'm trying to take pictures and then I got to blog it and then I got to take, you know, post this all and it's just too much sometimes so i do overextend myself sometimes but i am trying to make everybody happy right, you know right. um but i really enjoy social media i like trying to get all that stuff out there um i wish there was a little bit more of the pat on the back sure i mean it comes <laughs> with the territory you always hear the negative um but you know i do enjoy you know when i hear about a big play even if it's not in fort wayne trying to track it down um like something interesting like the other day like i knew there was an echl uh official who had gotten cut uh well at the time what i knew was that there was a, a linesman who had been yeah. injured badly but i didn't know what it was but this was a situation where i felt like if i don't track this down i don't know that there's any other reporter that's going to now maybe i'm wrong yeah um but it was an orlando yeah. atlanta game in orlando so I just happened to see a retweet from Chris Treft uh, saying, you know, well wishes to Charlie O'Connor. Um, I learned since, but I didn't really know who Charlie O'Connor was. I mean, he actually is one of the more well-respected linesmen, but I didn't really know that. Um, I don't keep track of the linesmen yeah. that well. So anyway, so I was just sitting at home. I had 10 minutes. It didn't take me that long. So I went and found the video and you know, it's not great video, but you could see him getting clipped, uh, pinned against the boards, clipped. You could see he gets uh, a skate, hits him. It's hard to tell where he gets hit, and he is just gone from the ice, like in yeah. a millisecond. But there's blood everywhere, and you can hear them kind of freaking out. And then I was able to track down some league officials who were able to, you know, give me a little bit of an update. They didn't want to talk a lot about it because they're a little bit um, – leery of giving out medical right. information more than some sure. people which is totally fine yeah. but i think they also recognize look here's somebody who's trying to actually get some positive information like an update yeah and i just said look i just want to tell people like so it was his hand because i think people here uh <laughs> they think clint malarchuk that's what exactly what i said yeah. clint malarchuk i said i think people here skate they worry jugular i just want to say it's his hand he's in the hospital well wishes they're like yeah totally fine so and I, so I put a little video out. I said it was his hand. Here you go. I don't know if anybody else reported it. I don't know. But that took me five to ten minutes. Yeah. Uh, now, so now when you're writing now with with the advent of social media, obviously you're very active. Your stories go up, you know, on websites and, and on Twitter, Facebook, what, what have you. Now, back in the day before this, you know, you could write your story and you knew you weren't going to probably hear anything from anybody. But now when you put it out there, you're going to hear a lot from from everybody. So when you're writing this story, is that in the back of your mind? It's like, oh, if I say this, I know I'm going to get hounded. Do I play it safe? Well, oh. back in the day, maybe it was like, oh, I'm just going to lay it out there. Well, I would say it was always in the back of my mind, first of all. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you're right. Now it, I'm just going to hear about it sooner. Like... I'm trying to explain this. Like sometimes I will write something and I will hear like my phone will buzz within, you know, 20 minutes from yeah. the coach <laughs> or a player or something like that. Uh, but you're right. You know, back, right. you, back you, in you the day. You think about that. It's like, okay, is this worth the hassle? Like I, back in the yeah. day, it used to be Frederick Bouchard would call me at, 8 a.m. Monday morning is Justin. How can you? I, I used to do this notebook, uh, right? You know who's hot, yeah. who's not, and he used to call me every week. Every week, Justin, I do not understand. How can you put me in the who's not, who's not? I had nine points last week, but you put me in the who's not, and I'd be like, Freddie, well, you're you're minus nine also, and you're a defenseman. <laughs> 
well, that's a good point, but I still don't think it's really necessary. And so something like that, like I, every week I'd be like, do I put him in the who's hot, the yeah. who's not? Like, is it really worth it? But you're right. You know, now I post if I post the same thing at midnight, I could hear about it at 12.03, <laughs> okay? But there are certain things that happen, like J.C. Compagna gets in a fight yeah. last week, and I know we have a photo of him getting – hit very severely right. i don't know the, the, the right way to put this um and i know we have that photo and i know it's going to go on our website and this isn't necessarily something that i have control over just like i don't write the right. headlines always i don't necessarily have control over the photos so this is one of those things like they won that game should somebody that's not me choose to run that photo prominently that could be something that i hear about and I mean, look, that comes with the job, but usually I just, you know, before, which is I think what you're getting at, I would have, you know, had some time to adjust and sure. prepare for what I'm going to walk into in the locker room. And maybe now I don't. Maybe I just get that call at midnight, like, what are you guys doing? Why is that on the website or something like that? Um, you know, let's not kill somebody, you know, for sticking up for a teammate or something yeah. like that, you know? Yeah. So weird things happen. And not all of them are in my control is what I'm getting at. But if it's something that I wrote, like um, people sometimes think this is crazy. Like I will tend to give these guys my phone number or whatever. Yeah. I'm like, call me. You know, if you ever have a problem, just call me. Like I'm easy to reach. Like I would much rather you just call me out on it or let's talk about it or whatever. Um, you know, I, I don't hide from anything. You know, I'd rather if you're going to get pissed, you know, let's, let's talk about it. Yeah. You know, I'm, pretty stand-up guy like that like let's just you know have it out and and move on <laughs> well okay now that you've you've covered hockey now well over, over 20 years so you've got a whole generation of players so have players gotten more sensitive or more indifferent or or what you think as a whole i think they've gotten uh less sensitive less sensitive yeah See, it's kind of surprising with social media where everybody has an opinion now that's kind of y yeah no i think they do yeah. be, i think they're less sensitive i mean i can tell you story i mean danny stewart was the big story that i i always tell um you know i mean this was more of a legal thing where i happened to be i mean i can tell you the whole thing how it happened people who remember danny stewart he um i happened to be at the courthouse i mean to me it doesn't matter how it happened but i happened to be at the courthouse i see danny stewart there um so then i've, I've you know I, I happened to poke around and say why was danny stewart there it turned out it was like a dui or whatever yeah to me the timing doesn't matter right we could because it could have just as easily been we get all the police reports right right so sure. if a player gets arrested yeah. chances are we're gonna find out um so whatever so th what year was this i you know i, I don't remember uh you know 2004 <laughs> uhl days yeah 2004 <laughs> something like this so anyway we report that danny stewart gets a dui and of course then the comets trade him now nothing one had nothing to do with the yeah. other to my understanding but i showed up at the arena and i was told in no uncertain terms the guys are mad at you like yeah. i was hearing things like take you into the parking lot you know <laughs> things like that like it was it was that was probably the most yeah. hostile environment i ever yeah. heard and so um you know uh, probably the best advice i ever got which was from blake because i was like i don't really know how to handle this one and he said well if i were you i would just go talk i would skip the the coach's press conference and go talk to the players so that was his advice it was probably the best advice yeah. I ever got. So that's what I did. So I skipped the coach's press conference. I go down into the locker room. I found PC Druin, and I said, I want to talk to the players. And I called a, a players a only meeting. meeting. Okay. So we locked the door, yeah. and I went in the middle of the room, and yeah. I said, you know, let me explain my side of this, why we report what we report, and if you guys have questions and, and they ask questions, I said, look, you know, the, the gist of it was this, when you play in Fort Wayne, we cover you like you're an NHL team. Why, how I found out doesn't really matter. Uh, you guys are public figures, whether you like it or not, if you get arrested, you get, this happens, yeah. that happens, you know, uh, we could report it, you know, it comes with the territory and, you know, 
they asked like you know some questions well this had happened you know a week before and things like that why did you have to do this why did you have to do that and i answered all the questions and stuff like that has obviously happened through the years um but i feel like players are less sensitive like i don't get so much you know guys griping about you know why i don't know there was just weird stuff that used to happen that doesn't so much guys would be mad about you know used to if you used to poke a little fun at something like uh you know the color of their you know tom lawson got mad because i failed to properly uh characterize the color of his pads i mean he had an absolute <laughs> fit about this i mean absolute fit stuff you know stuff like that guy dupuy yeah. got absolutely irate because i said he got in a fight one night or something and i said it was more of a scrum than a fight and I mean, just he said I was like sissifying him or something like that. You know, like stuff like this doesn't happen right. anymore. And I think that's because players are used to being on social media, like desensitized to yeah, it. Yeah, like all. in yeah, there's so col- much of it. Yeah, college juniors they're yeah. used to reading stuff and yeah. poking fun of each other and having broadcasters whoever poke fun at each other. So I think that's why it is. But you know, I don't get that overreaction. Like. Justin Hodgman on Saturday had a highly embarrassing moment, right? Uh, you know, where he's in the shootout yeah. and he loses control of the puck. Now, he's probably the most social media engaged right. player on the team right yeah. now. Like, he engages with me a lot on social media and he'll text me periodically. Like, I was kind of waiting for him to, be, I posted video of it. I was kind of waiting for him to be like, Dude, you know, did you have to post video? Yeah. Like, I did have to post video. Yeah, yeah, that was way. part of the game. But I was yeah. kind of waiting for him to be like, dude, something. He didn't say anything. Yeah. And I think he totally Understood. gets it. Yeah. And even if he didn't, I think I at least would hope that he recognizes that I would do what I did the next night, which is when he did score, I'm pretty much making the ne- the same move. I did post that video, too. Right. And then some fan was like, well, why didn't you post the video of him missing the night before? And I called it out. And I was like, <laughs> I did. Look in my feed. If there is something that does bother me about yeah. social media, it's that question. When people ask a question without looking first, I'm like, did you look? Or did I, you read? Did you yeah, read the like, whole article? Like, yeah. you, did you look? I posted it right after the game. Like, yeah, it was there. So, Was there ever a guy who you look forward to? It's like, I, I, if I need a good quote, I know who to go to. Well, I mean, my fallback is always, if there's a bad game, go talk to the captain. So... Uh, I mean, I think <laughs> I think Jamie Shaftsman knows if there's a bad game, I'm coming for him. Right. Um, so, I mean, you know, Chalk would always know that uh, if there was a bad game. I was, you know, I think that kind of comes with the territory. Um, you know, I'm sure there's some humor in this that knowing that goaltenders are notoriously weird. <laughs> I always get along best with goalies. So Ben Smith, our former columnist, used to always think this was hilariously funny because people always say goalies are so weird. You can't go talk to goalies and all this stuff. For whatever reason, those are the guys I get along with the best. So I would always go talk to goalies. So like Nick Boucher was like gold for me. I don't know. I mean, I'd like to think I'm a pretty bright guy. (laughs) He went to Dartmouth. I went to yeah. Emory. I felt like we kind of connected on an intellectual level, so maybe like we could talk. Like <laughs> there was sort, a deeper connection. Like, yeah, like like I felt like we, like we were talking about stocks as much as we were talking about something else. Like I don't know. So like I always felt like I had had a really good rapport with goalies, like Kevin St. Pierre. I had a great relationship with him. Um, Bruce, going back to Bruce Receipt, Kevin Weeks, uh, all-time Kevin Weeks story, by the way. Kevin Weeks. Lay it on us. Okay. I this mean, is this, what this is all this about. This is really short. So, like, people obviously know that Kevin Weeks yeah. dresses really well, right? Right. So, Kevin Weeks was, you know, the, the first team I covered. He obviously was the only guy making serious money here. And I'm a big city guy. You know, I grew up in Detroit. And I lived in Atlanta. I lived in Tampa, D.C. So, I come here. So, I felt like I was kind of in the big city guy yeah. in the small city. He's kind of a big city guy, big, big contract in the small city. So anyway, I walk into the locker room. He is alone in the locker room. <laughs> he is viciously lint rolling his suit. <laughs> and I'm just looking at him. And I'm just laughing. And he's, <laughs> he just looks at me. He's like, damn it, Coney. Fort Wayne dry cleaners have no idea what to do with an Armani suit. <laughs> 
I just thought that was the funniest thing I've ever seen. So, uh, goaltenders, you know, I've just always gotten along with. So I, I feel like I am, I am, I have a fledgling race relationship with uh, Zach Fucali right now. I feel like you know, so goalies, yeah. you know, notoriously weird, but I get along with them great. <laughs> That's fantastic. So I always try to go to them for comment, but that can be tough yeah. too. You know, they have yeah. a they have a, a a big loss. They give up a tough goal. Obviously, I'm not going to go. You know, yeah. just giving up that goal in overtime. But yeah. if you have, you know, usually they'll be okay to talk about it. You now know? you've covered a lot of sports, not just just not the comments, obviously all through Fort Wayne. But you've covered big events. You you've gone to Super Bowls. You've done the NFL. Now watching that Bobby Knight thirty for thirty, has there ever been anyone? who has been incredibly difficult, either to you or something you've witnessed? A coach or a player? Something along a Bobby Knight type of tirade? Um, I mean, we've had some here. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, Pat Bingham was not the – I I mean, I know you're not asking just comments, but but Pat Bingham was not the easiest coach. Uh, Pat was only here for one year. He was only here for one year. Well, and Grant Sonier, too. Now, Grant – it was kind of up and down. The The joke with Grant was that he used to always come in and say the same thing, no matter what the score, like they could lose eight to one. And he'd say, we, we played, we played perfect systems tonight. Like we'd ask hard questions. We played perfect systems tonight. You just don't know hockey, but Grant, you lost eight to one. You know, like, like, So that was kind of the running joke. Um, so later on, I think we developed a better relationship. I think he just kind of, hadn't learned the media game yet. Now, Pat, I don't know. He used to come in and he would blame stuff on the media. It was really weird. Um, I, I don't have a great explanation yeah. for his rapport with it. wasn't just me. It was, in fact, I think he got along better with me than some people. But, and I mean, he used to just, just flat out blame losses on reporters. It was just really weird. Um, and such the opposite of how we get along with Gary. I mean, we couldn't get along better with Gary. And frankly, Al Sims, I mean, we got along really well with him too. Um, but other than that, um, you know, Jim Caldwell with the Colts yeah. was, that was a really weird one. But that was more, it was just what made it so odd was he just always seemed to be the last person to know anything within his own building. Like, <laughs> there used to be just all these instances where we'd be down there and we knew a player was injured like yeah we knew it like because bill polian would tell us he was injured or it would be on the official report or any number of reasons and then caldwell would come in and we'd say you know why is reggie wayne not not playing you know this week and he'd he'd say something like "I, i don't have any information on that um but let me talk to the trainers and I'll get back to you. And we'd be like, no, no, no. Like, we know he's not playing this week. Like, do you expect yeah. him back next week? He's like, well, nobody's told me that. It was just like, like really weird. And we were like, you can't be this dumb. Like, it's just not possible. Like, so like for a while, we just thought it was an act. But then it became clear, like, they're just literally not telling their own coach. So <laughs> when he became the coach of my team, the Lions, <laughs> It was already off to a bad start. Right. <laughs> so, uh, but combative coaches, um, you know, I haven't had a lot of, I haven't had a lot of yeah. that really. I mean, I mean, it, it would have happened probably with this team, to be honest with you. Outside I mean, of commissioners. I mean, you don't have any problem with anyone else. Yeah. 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 <laughs> now, again, let's, let's talk about the stuff you've covered other than the comments. I mean, you've, you've done Super Bowls. I mean, not just when it's been in Indianapolis or someplace close. I mean, you've gone to New Orleans. You've gone all over the place. Yeah, I've done four Super Bowls. I haven't done yeah. New Orleans Super Bowl. Okay. I did, I was, I did okay. Uh, two in Miami, and I did one in Detroit and one in Indy. And probably my, my claim to fame uh, was I was the one that asked Jeremy Stevens uh, the question that made his so-called guarantee where he guaranteed the uh, the Seahawks were going to beat the uh, – the uh, Steelers, which of course yeah. did not happen. Now this kind of speaks to uh, the farsity of Super Bowl media day and how we as media will just make a story out of nothing. Yeah. Because what happened was I was doing a story on Jerome Bettis and I just needed to talk to somebody of some worth about Jerome Bettis on the other team. And so I was trying to, so Jeremy Stevens was alone. 
uh, and he was the tight end for the Seahawks. And what you need to understand about Super Bowl Media Day is there's an ESPN camera on everybody at all yeah. times. And so I just asked some throwaway question about Jerome Bettis, and he said something along the lines of, well, you know, it's a feel-good story, and everybody wants to make Jerome Bettis playing his hometown a feel-good story, and that's all well and good until they lose the game, which – you know, we, we think they're going to lose the game or so, something like that. Yeah. Like, what's he supposed to say? Like, yeah. it's a feel-good story, and it's going to be because we're going to, you know, <laughs> whatever. What's he supposed to say? Like, so somehow, I, I didn't even think anything of it. Like, really, I thought zero of it. And I, I get back to my parents' house, and I, I wasn't even going to use it that day. Like, it was nothing. It yeah. was a nothing quote. And then I, like, I unplugged, and then it was like, 11 o'clock or something and I turn on TV it's everywhere like and I like I'm getting calls from Fort Wayne TV stations like they wanted to have me on to talk like was this you asking like all this stuff like it was like national news it was like and then that became like one of the two three stories that had legs leading up to the game was Jeremy Stevens guarantee and I'm like I wasn't even going to use it. Like, this was not a guarantee. It was just so ridiculous. So, uh, but yeah, um, you know, I covered Super Bowls. I had the full Peyton Manning era um, in uh, in Colts land, and, and that was fun. And, and I covered the Pacers. Yeah. Um, you know, not just the Manats, but I covered some of those Pacers uh, playoff years, you know, when they were battling with the, the Pistons and Reggie Miller. And um, I mean, I've covered a lot of stuff. I covered LeBron James first first pro game uh up in detroit uh, just some wild stuff Cody's seen a lot i think uh, a lot of people might think that you you know you've just been the beat writer for all these years but you've been filling in all these spots you know over the past two decades and it's it's incredible before i was even here when i was in college i i covered uh the i worked for reuters during the 96 olympics i covered the u.s women's soccer team if you remember that team that was had the largest crowds ever for for women's soccer, like the Mia Hamm teams yeah. and things like that. So, yeah, I've, I've seen some stuff. Now, Super Bowl. Okay. I remember the story you told me about Jackie McMullen down at Lucas Oil. Yes. I, I absolutely love this story. Now, tell it, but keep it clean because it's one of those stories that's one of those things where I actually want to steal what Jackie did to you. Yeah. I well, think it was hilarious. Yeah. Well, so Jackie McMullen's <laughs> one of those national columnists <laughs> that I really like. And um, so I tend to stand during games, but I like to kind of – well, first of all, you get there really early for the right. Super Bowl because of security and whatnot. And I thought this was really funny that, you know, we're there like seven hours before the game, and I thought she, she's sitting there watching Netflix, which I thought was pretty funny. Like, you know, people are sitting there talking and eating and whatever. She's just chilling <laughs> watching some Netflix. But So the game's getting ready to start, and I like to warn people that I tend to stand because sometimes they think you're hovering behind them or reading their stuff. So – Sometimes I'm just like, is, is it okay if I stand? Is that going to bug you? And usually people are like, no, or whatever. So she's like, no, 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 it's, it's fine. And so they kick off, and I kid you not, like they, they return the first kickoff, and Jackie McMullen turns around and just yells at me, are you just going to stand the entire game? <laughs> and, like, there's just a a hush comes over the crowd and I'm just like <gasps> and she's like gotcha <laughs> <laughs> and I mean we're like I had the seat probably because I was with the home media yeah. I, mean, I was freaking out for a second but I mean that was like an epic bit of humor from somebody that I didn't know and she just took the, the local writer and just beat him to a pulp there it was, it was pretty funny and you're, for a while speaking of ESPN you were Mr. Sports Center. any clip that, that made it to Sports Center involving the comments. I mean, you're right on it. You're sending it right to them. Yeah, I mean, I had some. I it, it took me a while to figure out how to do that. Um, but yeah, there was a couple times where I had some good clips, and I wanted to know how do I get it to them. And then I finally figured out some emails, and there were a couple times where they're like, "Yeah, teddy bear toss," and "Yeah, yeah. that is a good save," and "Yeah." So there, I did have a nice little run there for a while where they were running some. I think it started with I, the Vascovum, uh in the finals. Yeah, yes, I think yes, that's where it started. That that might be right. Like yeah. that Vascovo kind of dipsy do yeah. pass to chalk. I think is yeah. what it was. Yeah. Um, yeah, that sounds right. I thought what you were getting at was uh, I used to go on every now and then. Like I went on first take 
um, when I was covering the Colts. But then there were a couple times where they had me on on the radio, and we're pretty sure that what they did was they took my mug shot and they photoshopped me onto Merrill Hodge's body <laughs> because I was on this guy that had these very big, broad shoulders. And the running joke with that is I really can't stand Merrill Hodge. Like, of all people to put me on, the only story that I can equate that to is when they put <laughs> they put Brent Gretzky's head on my body because he couldn't stand me. So do you know this story? No, no, I got to hear this one. I don't know this one. What? No. Really? Oh, this is fantastic. Oh. We're, 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 yeah, we're breaking some new ground here. Oh, gosh, oh. yes. So Brent Gretzky, so what year is that, like 2000? Uh, two or three two? in that area. Yeah. So for whatever reason, uh, he did not show up to Team Picture Day. A couple things happened here. So I'm the only one around that's sort of his size. So they kind of look at me like, do you mind – getting into his gear and i'm like okay now they didn't give me any time to actually do it like i didn't even get a chance to lace up my skates yeah so one thing that happened was i get on on the ice and i have literally not laced up the skates so greg paholsky the coach grabs me pulls the jersey over my head and starts wailing away on me Okay. Now, I guess the players were not pleased about this because he could have actually hurt me. Right. Because I did not have the skates laced up. Like, I could not fight back. <laughs> um, anyway, so I'm in this picture. And the irony is I didn't get along badly with Brent, but I didn't get along great with Brent. I don't know why. There's no, no particular yeah. reason. He just, you could tell he just, I wasn't his guy. Um, so in that team photo from that year if you find any of the team photos i mean in hanging in the office I, I have to look in the archives go, now. go look in the locker room anywhere it is my body and they photoshopped his head okay but here's the best part so that friday they had blown up this team photo and they hung it in the rotunda as you walked into the arena. Yeah. So Ben Smith, our columnist, and I, we go to see this this infamous photo. And I actually have the 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 real photo of me in the comic gear and Brent Gretzky's all his gear on my desk at work. So we're sitting there and we're just looking at this photo and laughing. And there's this little old lady, like a longtime season ticket holder, just her jaws just dropped open. She's just staring at this thing for an unusually long time. And she pulls her friend aside. She says, Gosh. I don't know what it is, but Gretzky just looks terrible. <laughs> Did he put on weight or something? He just looks fat. <laughs> I think Ben about keeled over. He was laughing so hard. <laughs> so I never asked Brent Gretzky, like, I sh surely somebody must have told him, by the way, we had to get Coney to stand in for you. So that's his body that you're on. Must have just rubbed him the wrong way or something about <laughs> but yes yes so i don't know how many beat writers have actually shown up in the team picture but that did actually happen <laughs> now let's uh, talk about not uh, the most ethical thing I've not really not really lately. but you it, it got a great story for this podcast so uh yeah uh, you know i think that was you know oh two oh three because that was during the time of our ill-fated talk show Yes, yes. Well, and I think, wasn't he replaced by Colin Chaw? Yeah, I think right. At, yeah, yeah. So I remember it was like that summer, I believe. So if people don't remember, but Justin and I had our own sports talk show with our good friend Andy Roman I ha I for a year. I still have CDs of this. Somewhere. Oh, please burn those. No, 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 no. No, never. Very ill-fated that no one listened to, or we'd still be on the air, but uh, this is kind of reunion. No, that was, that was all an advertising problem. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I, I maybe if I listened to it, maybe we were all brilliant. Maybe we were all brilliant, and I just missed it. <laughs> Nothing to do with the content. It's all production problems. <laughs> that's that's for sure. Uh, well, one last thing, I want to talk about the CD business of underground bobblehead training, which you do a lot of. <laughs> if it, it, I'm up in the press box, well, now here's the thing: you I'm, go I'm CD business. I was like, oh, where's he going with this? I'm right behind Coney in the press box. You know, I'm raised up a little bit. He's right underneath me, and every so often, you kind of see a shady character just make their way to the press box, and there's some type of business exchange going on, and 
there's a bobblehead that will make its way out of a plain paper bag, and Coney is pulling one out himself. So there is there is a, a deep seedy bobblehead trade going on right underneath our noses in this town. I'm just glad that you have said the key word here, which is trade. <laughs> You're not purchasing. Straight. No, no, right. no. Purchase right. would be fine, yeah. too. I just did not want you to illustrate a point that my boss would not like, <laughs> that I was somehow receiving these free. <laughs> no, gotcha. What you, no, what you, gotcha. Are, what you are getting at here is what you witnessed uh, about two <laughs> weeks ago where uh, 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 it was actually your guest statistician. Yes, yes. Uh, who is one of my loyal readers, happened to contact me. He has a actually – probably more impressive collection than I do. And he has like uh, built shelves all around like his ceiling and stuff. Anyway, he sent me this picture and he's like, by the way, I've got all these doubles. Um, I got nothing to do with them. Uh, would you be interested in trading? And actually I had never done a trade and I actually had a few doubles. And so we did a trade. I'd actually never done a trade before. Um, so you were a witness to a first. Nice. Um, most of my bobbleheads I have uh, either purchased, but most of them people have actually given to me. Like people kind of in a strange way want to be part of the collection. Um, there are a lot of people that they just, it's just not their thing. Like they'll be friends or like my, the publisher of our paper, uh, you know, she has season tickets so she gets the Comet bobbleheads. So she has no interest in them. Yeah. So she'll give them to me. So that's where, like, the Comet ones I have, like, those were those. Yeah. That's where those typically come from. Um, I have a lot of Red Wing ones because I'm a Red Wing season ticket holder. So, you know, I have that's, you know, I, I'm, I'm uncovering the veil of where a lot of these came from. But um, one of my favorite moments, though, is when we were in Reading for the playoffs. Uh, you mentioned social media, but. We had a day off there, and the baseball team was playing. Yeah. And it was Ryan Sandberg bobblehead night with the Reading Fightin' Phils, which is their logo is a naked ostrich, by the way. So two <laughs> things that happened here. <laughs> Look that up. Was, it is. And I had, me and some friends, like, we had thought this was the most ridiculous logo ever. And people found out that I was at the place that has the naked ostrich. I had to purchase two hundred dollars worth of merchandise to bring it back. It was the <laughs> biggest merchandise story I've ever seen. But anyway, I tweeted out, "I've never actually waited in line for a bobblehead. What do I do?" Comet local fans thought this was the funniest thing. They're like, "Coney is going to wait in line for a bobblehead." They're giving me all this advice. They made me go like two hours before the game. There was like a line around the building like three times so i did this whole thing there's people waiting in line then they go back to their car then they go wait in line the whole thing i did all this stuff completely unnecessary because as i'm <laughs> leaving the game in the fourth <laughs> inning they still had bobbleheads so like i did the whole rigmarole and i didn't have to do any of it so i took all their advice and i'm glad i did because i made sure i got my random Ryan Sandberg Redding Phil's bobblehead, but it was also completely <laughs> unnecessary. But they thought it was just, it, they couldn't fathom the fact that somebody who has worked in sports had no idea how to actually get <laughs> the bobblehead. Like, they couldn't process this. And I'm like, no, I've really, like, I've never actually waited in line for the bobblehead. Like, it's just like, I don't actually have to, like, buy the tickets to the comic game. Like, I go in a different door than you do. I don't know how this works. How does this whole rotunda thing work? I don't, I don't really know. Like, so. But uh, you have personally asked me on more than one occasion, if we're going to kind of an exotic locale and there could be a bobblehead, hey, Shane, get me a bobblehead. Yeah, I'm still waiting for my Florida I know, I've, Florida I failed, Everglades. which basically what it was, I went to the gift shop. They did not have them. That was about the extent of my There, my There hunting. have been a couple broadcaster <laughs> friends who have been like, I'm really not happy that, like, the Wichita Thunder are not part of this collection. And, like, I'll walk in and there will be this Wichita Thunder Barry Sanders, like, sitting there for me. And then, like, the, Tol the Toledo – our friends at the Toledo Walleye finally got on board. They're like, they're like, wait a second. Whoa, how are we not in this? And they're like, I got a Micah Ruzioni. <laughs> like, oh. And, like, this was a big thing because uh, Mark Monroe, their beat writer, was like, wait a second. How do you have an Ruzioni? And I don't – like, I was going to give him my – Ruzioni because I was like that's not right I shouldn't have a Ruzioni and you know <laughs> so uh, but yeah there there is some jealousy like some teams are like uh, 
we want to be a part of this collection. Like, <laughs> like yeah. So, uh, but usually there is a swap involved for there the, you go. for the ethics part of it. So. There you go. So we'll end it on that. So we, man, we this was a long one. We covered a lot of stuff. We could have kept I could on go talking all day, baby. Yeah, I love yeah. it. Well, we'll have to definitely have to bring you back, Coney, and doing a fantastic job. You and I, we've been down the road for now a couple decades. It's crazy crazy we're still doing it so thanks a lot buddy all right thanks for having me so that's the show folks i hope everybody enjoyed it we went a little bit longer than normal and i've actually had some requests for some longer interviews so there you go justin cone uh we could have talked for again hours and hours and we still might we'll have to have him back for another episode I hope every Comet fan out there had a wonderful holiday, and uh, we have got a lot of Comet hockey. We're just coming up on the halfway point, and it is going to be a great ride the rest of the season, so hopefully you're going to be with us all the way through as this podcast will take you all the way through the end of the season. I hope you've enjoyed all the episodes so far because we've got a lot more up for you, so appreciate you tuning in, listening to the Combat Apps, Comet's podcast this week.